0: I wanted to start this episode with a quote about friendship, but there were so many of them that I found it hard to choose just one. If friendship is so important to us, why is it that the average adult has less friends now than in previous generations? Maybe this quote from Winnie the Pooh sums up why this is happening. You can't stay in your corner of the forest waiting for others to come to you. You have to go to them sometimes. Welcome to episode 38, where I am joined by Dr. Marissa Franco to discuss how to make friends as an adult. This episode is sponsored by Nickerson, a full service branding, marketing, PR, and communications agency with team members in Boston, LA, Miami, and New York City.
1: Welcome to This Shit Works, your weekly no-nonsense guide to networking your way to more friends, more adventures, and way more success, with your host, Julie Brown. Here we go.
0: Each year, I celebrate Friendsgiving and Friends Christmas, which we refer to as Fistmas. Just go with it. Friendsgiving is two days after Thanksgiving and Miss is two days after Christmas. There are 10 of us that celebrate together, but sometimes the numbers swell past that depending on who has friends or family visiting at the time. I look forward to these gatherings of friends as much, if not more, than my family celebrations. As an adult, my friends are the family that I have chosen and that have chosen me. I look at my friends and know for a fact that we will be there for each other through thick and thin. We already have been. We've held on to each other through the loss of a child, the loss of parents, multiple cancer diagnoses, injuries, and so much more. We've celebrated each other's successes, looked out for each other, provided for each other. When together, we often make each other laugh to the point where tears stream down our faces and we have to tell each other to shut up because we are going to pee our pants. What is interesting about this group of friends is that I made these friends as an adult. I don't think I understood how special that was until I was introduced to Dr. Marissa Franco and her research on the importance of adult friendships. You see, the research shows, and you all know how much I love research on this podcast, so the research shows that our friendship networks have been shrinking at an alarming rate. For example, In studies conducted between 1980 and 1985, participants reportedly had four more friends on average compared with the participants who partook in studies between 2000 and 2005. With that average playing out in real life, it would mean that instead of my group of 10 for Friendsgiving, we'd only be a party of six. I can't imagine these celebrations with four members of our group missing. Why does this happen, you might ask? Well, a study of young adults' social networks by researchers at the University of Oxford found that couples in a romantic relationship had, on average, two fewer close social ties, including friends. And when those couples start having kids, they begin to lose even more of their friends. I'm at an age where a number of my friends have gone through a divorce, and through that process have felt as if they have lost a number of friends who had chosen aside, leaving them with not only the gaping hole that a divorce will create in your life, but with a friendship void as well. When I picture my golden years, I picture sharing them with my friends, laughing about all the shit we've done together over the years and wondering how we ever made it to old age given the shenanigans we were constantly pulling. Given the studies, this scenario may be a rarity. If we aren't careful, we risk losing our friends among the hustle and bustle of our busy lives. This is why I have asked Dr. Marissa Franco to join us today. Marissa is a psychologist and friendship expert. She writes regularly about connection for Psychology Today and has been a featured connection expert in publications including the New York Times, The Telegraph, and Vice, and was recently a guest expert on Good Morning America. She is currently writing a book, Platonic, on how to make friends as an adult. Marissa, thank you so much for being here today.
1: So happy to be here. That was such a touching introduction. Thank you for sharing.
0: Oh, it's true. I have friends from my childhood and I have my friends from college, but my closest friends are the friends that I made after I was 35 years old. And I don't think I knew that that was a rarity until i started reading about you and the research that you've been doing
1: yeah how did you make your friends at 30 after 30 we have a house in vermont
0: and i met them from having a house up there and and meeting people who also have houses up there you know met at restaurants or on the mountain or through other friends so it was all very just sort of serendipitous and I think what you're you what what you might be getting at is did I actively try to make friends as an adult and I didn't I, it very happened very serendipitously, which and by chance which I think is not probably what you're going to talk about. <laughs> so you, you're probably going to say we have to be a little bit more active in making friends of, as an adult.
1: Yes, I will say that, but I will also say that the, there's a sociologist and she talks about. What helps us make friends in this organic way? And she says the ingredients are continuous, unplanned interaction and shared vulnerability. So, if we are finding ourselves in settings where we have those ingredients, then sure, friendships might happen organically. And that's why we see kids having a lot easier time making friends on the playground, in school. But as we become adults, it's like we have fewer and fewer spaces where we have those ingredients. I mean, some people find it at work, but other people feel like, oh, I need to be professional at work. So I'm not going to bring in that vulnerability piece. And so I think if you can put yourself in places where you have those ingredients, then it's going to make it a lot easier, like showing up to a class of some sort, or even if there's a regular place that you go every year and, um, you know, sort of these summer camp kind of things for adults, like meditation retreats that people are doing, I'm signing up for some writer's residencies for my book, then that makes it a lot easier to make friends. But yes, I will say that generally, people are not making friends organically. The average person hasn't made a new friend in the last five years. And about half of people say that they would want to make new friends if they only knew how. And so I think what happens is, because in our childhood, it was a lot easier because we had those ingredients. We never quite had to build the skills of taking that initiative and trying. And I think that can really, it can harm us. It can harm us if we no longer have that safety net. Um, I'm thinking about a research study that found that people who thought making friends was something that happened based off luck rather than effort were more likely to be lonely years later.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm still sort of a little dumbfounded by that stat that you just put out that the average um, person hasn't made a new friend in the past five years. That shocks me, but maybe to you, it doesn't because you're studying this and obviously you're studying it for a reason, but I'm really floored by that statistic. That's so interesting. Um, You said most people want to make friends, but they don't know how. So Mm -hmm. if people are, are not making friends and there is this need and this yearning for making friends, but they don't know how, what are the steps that people can do as an adult to make friends and to keep friends? If obviously part of having a friendship is maintaining it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, this is a really, really great question. So I like to tell people because I think when it comes to making friends, people are very passive, not like how they are with romantic relationships where they're swiping and, you know, joining match.com or asking friends to hook you up when it comes to friends. I think people just assume that they're going to show up in their lives. So I just encourage people to really be intentional and put yourself out there. If you meet someone you like say, Hey, I enjoyed this conversation. I'd love to follow up and connect sometime. And I think. One of the biggest barriers to people doing that is that they're very afraid of rejection. Mm-hmm. And so I like to tell them about this study on something called the liking gap. And so this was a study where researchers put strangers together, had them interact. Afterwards, they asked the strangers, hey, how much did you like the person you interacted with? Generally, the researchers found that people underestimated how liked they were. And so the this, this study kind of suggests that we all have this bias to assume that people like us less than we, they actually do. So something that I suggest for people, if you want to put yourself out there, assume that people like you. Assume that the world is open to you, that you will enjoy this interaction, that people are going to say yes, and then it's going to be a lot easier for you to put yourself out there.
0: That's great. Assume that people like you or will like you. I'm sure that's very hard for some people because I I see this over and over again a lot of because I'm a networking coach. And so I coach people on how to build business relationships. A lot of people say, Well, I don't know anybody why anybody would want to know me. And I feel like that kind of goes hand in hand. You have to believe that you are a that you would be a good friend and that people like you and that you have values that other people would want to also have in their life
1: in a friend. Exactly. And I think that point you brought up. I think it's really important for all of us to think about and understand what we bring to the table as a friend. So maybe that means asking your friends, what do you think is a unique strength that I have as a friend? Or just being reflective and, and noticing what makes you different or unique as a friend because if you go into interactions assuming that you're inferior to other people it's going to be really hard to build friends because friendship happens when there's no hierarchy and there's more ease (laughs) and if you feel like someone's better than you you're going to be really afraid to build a relationship with them because you're going to feel like oh i'm imposing onto them they're not interested they're better than me oh your insecurities are basically going to get inflamed so when i'm going into a new group of people Sometimes I am scared. Sometimes I am nervous and reminding myself to assume people like me is one thing that I do. But the other thing is to think about my unique strengths and to remind myself that, hey, nobody's better than me. Like I'm an insightful person. (laughs) I'm a good listener. And so as interesting as these people may be that I'm about to interact with, I am interesting as well. And this is actually, again, based on some research, these researchers basically told people, lied to people and said, hey, this person you're about to interact with, they read a little bit about you and they like you. And they found that when people thought that they were liked, they were more likable. They were more engaged. They were more present in the conversation. When we are afraid of rejection, it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because we're like, let me not put myself out there. Let me withdraw. Let me stay quiet. And the truth is that to be likable to other people, you have to show that you like them. (laughs) That's what all the research has told me. And so I think it's just really important to keep your strengths in mind so that you can be able to do that.
0: Yeah. When I think about when I'm making a strategic introduction, so over email, and I'll say, Oh, you two have to know each other. This person's so great because of this. And I know you're going to love this about this person. Someone else can prime that for you as well. So you almost have to prime yourself for that. You can say, They're going to love this about me and this about me. This is what I bring to the table. I read somewhere that. There was research back, you know, in the 60s that show that people are primed to like people more if they know that they'll see them again. Yeah. So does this play into joining a club or something like that to meet people? Cause you know that there will be a repetition in the amount of time that you see them.
1: Definitely, definitely. And that also capitalizes on something called the mere exposure effect, which is this psychology phenomenon that basically as people get more familiar to us, we like them more. It happens completely unconsciously. These researchers implanted students in a psychology class for varying numbers of classes. One student came like no classes. Another student came to 10 classes. It was a large lecture. none of the students remembered these implants, but at the end of the semester, when the professor asked the students, Hey, these are pictures of these women, who do you like best? They didn't remember the woman, but they reported that they liked the woman that showed up to the most classes the most. So it's happening completely unconsciously that just as people become familiar to us, we like them more. And so that's why another thing that I suggest is if you're interested in making new friends, can you join something that is continuous rather than one-off? Don't, I mean, going to happy hour isn't a bad idea, but can you join a writing class or a dinner club or an improv club, something that will allow you to see people over time And build those relationships.
0: So I think it can be um, intimidating if you, like, say you want to meet people and you want to make friends. What if you think, I'm trying to word this correctly, how do you explain that you don't have a lot of friends? I feel like people might feel a little self conscious if they're trying to make friends. And they get invited to do things with you know, with other people who have friends and you don't really have any friends. How do we get over that hurdle? That's somebody maybe who's gone through a divorce and they feel like they've lost a lot of their friend group. You know, How do you get yeah. over this stigma that you're not popular enough to make new friends because you don't have enough friends to begin with?
1: Yeah. Well, first I would like – just have a lot of empathy for that. I think a lot of people don't have friends. I mean, it's easy from social media to assume that that's not the case, but the research is really showing us our friendship networks are shrinking. A lot of people report that they don't have even one confidant in their life. And so it's not necessarily that something is wrong with you as a person, if you don't have friends, maybe you haven't learned the skills, maybe you just went through something, a big life change, a divorce, you moved to cities, Or maybe you've just been working a lot. There's a lot of reasons outside of like, you're a weird person and people (laughs) don't like you. (laughs) Right. Um, But I would say like, as you're getting back out there, something that I recommend more generally with communication, instead of expressing what your issue is, express what your need is to solve that issue, right? So instead of saying, I don't have any friends saying, you know, I'm trying to get back out there and make more friends Mm -hmm. um, as, yeah, as a sort of more positively balanced way to connect with the new people that you're meeting.
0: How has the pandemic affected friendship?
1: Woo, I have been <laughs> getting this question. You know, I was interviewed on this question on Good Morning America, and I also put it out to my Instagram followers. And what I've just been seeing is that people feel people are, are almost experiencing symptoms of social anxiety that they even people that have never experienced social anxiety. So. Difficulties coming up with something to say, self-consciousness that they said something stupid, feeling like they're rambling, trouble making eye contact, feeling just socially awkward, like you know the sort of um, music of the interaction isn't working out. We're interrupting each other, we're speaking over each other, mm-hmm. and. I just wanted to I have just been telling people like hey this is normal. When you haven't interacted socially in a while, it's so normal for you to feel a little bit rusty. And in fact, socializing is actually one of the comp- most complex things our brains can do. Like there's so many things we're doing when we're socializing. We are understanding someone else's cues. We are understanding our own cues. We are taking our needs and turning them into something that we are expressing to another person. There's just so much going on when we're socializing and any of those things can break down if we're not practicing. And also loneliness actually increases our social anxiety. And so as we've all been lonely this past year, we've also, as a byproduct of that, probably are experiencing more social anxiety. And then something else that I've talked about is is the idea of friendship doubt, this This increase in people's fears that their friends don't really like them, which is also something that we experience when we're lonely. So something I like to share about loneliness is that it's not just a feeling, it's actually a state of mind. When we're lonely, we're more likely to think people are rejecting us, be very cynical, assume the worst. We don't like other people as much. We punish other people when we're in research studies with them. We report that we appreciate humanity less. We are in a very threatened state. But we don't always realize, oh, hey, this way that I'm thinking is because I'm lonely instead of, oh, this way that I'm thinking is the truth. Nobody likes me and I don't feel close to anybody. So I just say that all to to put out the larger landscape of what's happening to us socially to share that if that's something you're going through, you're not alone. This is normal. Don't worry. As you slowly begin to interact more and more, your social skills will come back to you. You'll feel less disconnected and things will go back to normal because, We are social creatures, we have it within us to be social and so you're simply uncovering what's already there inside you but what's been a little bit blocked because of we've gone through a year of extended isolation.
0: The first time I ever heard the term friendship doubt was when I saw you on Good Morning America talking about it. I had never heard of this before. The only thing I can think of is say you text a friend and normally they text you right back. But for some reason, it's been like 24 hours. You're like, what happened? Why aren't they texting me back? Or something like that. You call and they don't call you back. And I feel like this is something I talk to my clients about in business. I say, it's not about you. You have no idea what that person is dealing with right now. So, the, the fact that they haven't responded to you could mean that something's happening in their life, you know, <laughs> beyond just having the ability to respond to you. But I had not heard of friendship doubt before. I had not, I hadn't heard of it. I didn't know that this was something that was prevalent. I guess my question is. That's a byproduct of the pandemic, or was that there before the pandemic?
1: I think it's a byproduct of loneliness. And so that's what's happening in this pandemic, that um, we are experiencing more of that that doubt, that insecurity, that fear that people don't really like us.
0: What are your tips for getting people to open up to you? That's a really big part of... Building a friendship, creating a common bond, understanding people's struggles, finding commonality within struggles.
1: Yeah, this is a great question and super important for friendship. I think our friendships deepen the more that we reveal ourselves within them. And so that article that I wrote was on something called openers in the research. And openers are people that are really good at getting people to open up. And they simply act very interested in the other person. They're asking a lot of open questions. They are assessing the interaction for whether they're the ones talking too much and whether they're giving the other person a chance to share. They are non judgmental. So, if someone maybe expresses something that they don't necessarily agree with, they might ask another question to get more clarity or to understand their perspective rather than being like, This is how I think. And so, it gets at something called person-centered communication, where your communication is, is focused on the person in front of you. I guess an instance would be like, let's say someone else, your friend is like, oh, I just went on a trip to Chicago and it was really fun. If you're not person-centered, you might say, oh, I went on a trip to Chicago. I really like this and this and this. Whereas if you're an opener, you're more person-centered, you say, oh my gosh, that's so great. How was your trip to Chicago? What did you do there? Tell me more. I want to hear all about this. Uh I'm
0: not that open person. I just realized that I the first thing I would say would be, "Oh my god, I've been a million times. My best friend lives there. Oh my god, let me tell you about all." Yeah, okay, so I suck at that. <laughs> okay, I get that now. That was a glaring sort of stop sign for me. <laughs> That's so interesting. Um so you know, being interest more interested in the other person, what the other person's experience than sharing your experience first, like you can exactly. follow up with your experience. Yeah, yeah,
1: yes. certainly. I mean, we don't want to make someone feel like they're interrogated, but you also want to make someone feel like you're interested in them and not just interested in waiting for them to finish talking so you can go back to you.
0: Your book is called Platonic and I were talking about building friendships as an adult. I have just as many male friends as I have female friends. How do you navigate building relationships and making sure that the other person knows that you're building a platonic friendship? Is that something
1: we have to discuss? Yeah, that is a great, great question. Um, It's not something I've been asked about before, but I have some speculative thoughts, but I won't say I'm an expert on the answer to this question. Okay. just putting out there that you're in a relationship, like mentioning your spouse, mentioning your husband before you ask someone to hang out is really important. Uh, I think it's also really important to invite your spouse into your friendship. And so say, you know, hey, I'm going to hang out with this person. Like, do you want to come? You're welcome to come. And so I think that's really a way of building trust with your spouse and also setting expectations with the other person. You might also consider inviting their spouse. Um, And so all of this, I think, is a way to to clear the air a little bit, to <laughs> signal that hey, this is a platonic relationship that I'm looking for with you.
0: Is it easier to build relationships if you're a couple, if you're coupled with someone, because then you can do a couple things, or is it is it just as easy to do that? Say if you're newly single or if you are single.
1: Honestly, I think we see from the research that single people experience the jackpot of friendships. A lot of people relate to romantic relationships as their island. And in mm. fact, when people get into romantic relationships, they tend to lose friendships. And, you know, I think we, we've, we a lot of us have been socialized to think this is the be all end all form of love in our lives. And platonic love is like this purgatory love that we have until we find that romantic love. But in fact, that's really untrue. The science shows that when we have healthy friendships, our romantic relationships are more durable during times of turbulence because we have other people to turn to, for example. Also, I think friendships, friends play such a primary role in making us feel like ourselves because one person can only draw for, forth a certain side of us, right? Mm-hmm. And so maybe as much as I love my spouse, He doesn't get my love of water skiing or my love of woodworking. And I might have to be around other people to to completely unleash that side of myself. And so I think if you want to experience yourself as a full person, you need to experience yourself in an entire community of people.
0: How do we maintain our friendships? If we know that, so we're building friendships and friendships, or something that you have to keep doing over time. You have to see that person over time and invest in that relationship over time. How do you prioritize
1: it? That is a good point. You (laughs) need to prioritize it, right? Like I think we, it, it takes a lot of intentionality in ways that similar to your romantic relationship if you're not intentional, it can start to feel like your roommates, right? And so you schedule dates with each other and you find time with each other. And that is what friendship needs too. You need to nurture it. You need to check in, you need to find times to hang out. You need to make sure that it is a priority and act accordingly and not act like, oh, this is something that can go off my, all, all of my list of things to do. If, if things get really, if things get busy enough, then I'm gonna cross off friendship, right? But I think aside from that, there's a lot of ways that you can build a friendship. And funny enough, I think we have these misconceptions that a lot of the ways that actually nurture friendship, we think harm friendship, right? So for example, vulnerability, research actually finds that people like people more when they're vulnerable. And in fact, people judge us less than we think they do because they see us as more authentic and honest. And so vulnerability can be something that greatly bridges a friendship such that even if you see someone less often, but when you do spend time with them, you're telling them what's really going on and you're being vulnerable, that will maintain the friendship more so than if you're meeting times this month but you're having shallow conversations with them yeah um i think another thing that's really important is just showing affection for our friends telling your friends hey i I love you i value Mm -hmm. you you are so important to me being excited at our friend's success you know if they got a new job i am so excited for you i'm taking you out to celebrate just like i said before this is based on a theory called inferred attraction People like us when they think we like them, right? And so when we show affection for our friends, they tend to like us more too. And that's because what we're really doing when we do that is we're making people feel safe. People only invest in relationships to the extent that we they can feel safe doing so. If they feel like we might reject them, they are going to pull back to protect themselves yeah. from that rejection.
0: You know, it's funny that you say, tell your friends you love them. My, my group of 10, the 10 of us, we don't leave each other without saying, bye, I love you, and we mean it. And I think it's because we've been through so much loss together that we really cherish the fact that we get to be together. So it was awkward at first, I feel like, when we were like, okay, love you, love you, love you, like all of us, you know. But now it's just something that we do. We don't leave each other without telling each other that we love each other. I want to ask you about distance between friends. So one of my really good friends, one of my best friends lives in Chicago. I live in Boston. I fly to see her once a year. And when I fly to see her, we pick up where we left off. A year has not gone by in our love for each other and our ability to connect with each other. But there are a lot of people who have long distance friends. So what is a good way to maintain a long distance friendship that is important to you that you don't get to see that person as much as you would like?
1: Yeah, this is a great question. And I think what you're doing is exactly what I'd recommend finding time to see each other in person is just so, so important and can really just sustain and rehabilitate a relationship. But I think it also shows, right, that you're invested in the friendship and the more that we show we're invested, the more the other person feels free to be invested too. And so I think anything that you do to show care consideration to show that you like your friend will maintain the friendship so for example if you are your friend is sick and you send them some ramen noodles from their local restaurant even though you're long distance from them if you send them a thoughtful card for their birthday all of these are little things that can really maintain the friendship but something that you touched on Julie that I think is really important is asking for support when you need it. It sounds like you've been through some really heavy experiences with your friends. And that is also the kind of thing that really builds a friendship. Asking for support can be a gateway to such deep intimacy because it builds so much trust when some people see us at our most vulnerable and are still willing to show up. And that's another thing that people are afraid of, like asking for support, I'm going to push people away. But in fact, it can invite so much more intimacy and vulnerability in the relationship. So both asking for and I think showing up during times of support, right? So if you think that your friend is going through a tough time, don't just do nothing. How can you be intentional about showing them that you care for them? Whether that's sending them a meal, calling them to check in more, texting them to tell them you're on they're on your mind, asking, even asking them, hey, I was thinking of doing XYZ to help you. Would that be okay for you? Like not waiting for them to come and ask for you, because when people are in a period of distress it's even more energy for them to have to think of something from you. <laughs> right. So you go out of your way to propose something instead. Is there a this is
0: this is weird, but like say you're in a new friendship, is there a is there a time period for when you're allowed to be that vulnerable or can you be that
1: vulnerable from go? I think it depends on the person and I would also think we should understand our motives when it comes to vulnerability, because I think some people are vulnerable to try to kind of uh, try to kind of force someone else to feel close to them uh, wh- rather than just express their truth or to do it because they, they it's honoring or signaling how close they feel to the other person. Right, and so then we get into this sort of oversharing territory, which I don't think is actually vulnerability, because I think when we're like really vulnerable, we're just trying to express ourselves rather than trying having this underlying motive that I'll say that sometimes we have when we're oversharing. Right, I know some people who are sort of like, I'm gonna put all my problems out on the table because then it's almost like a test to see if they're (laughs) gonna like me anyway. And when we're testing people, that's not true vulnerability. Vulnerability is is authentic. It doesn't Mm. have an underlying motive, and so I think you know I. think it takes feeling someone out, right? So is when you're vulnerable, is the other person interested? Are they meeting you there? Or are they kind of backing away, (laughs) taking that view of the relationship? And I also think it takes understanding where are my motives? Are my motives to express something because I feel comfortable in this relationship? Are they to express some underlying motive around, you know, I fear you're going to reject me. So I'm going to be ultra vulnerable and see if you're going to reject me and test you.
0: Sure. Sure.
1: So if I were going to try to wrap this
0: podcast up in a bow, which I feel like is doing such a disservice because you have so much to talk about. And it's been such an interesting conversation that I hope we get to maybe have another one when your book comes out or when your next book comes out. Because I'm, if you're like me, you wrote a book and you're already thinking about your next book. If you feel like you want to make friends and you feel like you don't have enough friends, you're not alone. You, Everybody, there is, there's this sort of want and need for friendship now. And in order to do that, you have to put yourself in a position to make friends and to dedicate time to making friends and understand the benefits that that will have on your life. And I should have said this, People want to be your friend. <laughs> you know, you are likable. You have n- so many things to offer. People want to be your friend. Does that sound like a good way
1: to wrap it up? Yeah, and and I think you did a great, great job. That's an awesome summary. And also just show that you like people. I think when we want to make friends, we're so focused on, does the other person like me, are they checking in? You know, like, are they interested but, but we don't ask ourselves the same question. Am I checking in? And am I showing that I like them? <laughs> um, get out of your head and, and be intentional about showing other people that you value them. Be enthusiastic when they reach out to you. You know, try to show up. Try not to bail. Tell them like what you like about them, what you see in them already that you really value. And I think that is the way that we build connections. We ultimately are making other people feel really safe. Marissa, when does your book come out? I am almost done writing it and then mm, okay. I have to get my feedback and then it takes another year for yep. the to um, come up with the cover design and yep. marketing plan. So in so the November meantime, in yeah. the
0: meantime, between now and the book, you, you write articles, they can go to your website, they can follow Definitely. you on Instagram. You, you are putting out a lot of content in between yeah. now and then, correct?
1: Yes. Yes. So definitely sign up for my newsletter on my website. That's where you get a lot of the research on friendship and updates on my book. That's Dr. as in D-R, mm-hmm. uh, And also Dr. Marissa G. Franco is my Instagram and my Twitter handle where you can learn more about friendship. And on my website, I also have a blog, which gives you a lot of different, a lot of information on friendship.
0: Great. Marissa,
1: Thank you so much. I love
0: all of the podcast interviews, but I this one for me struck a chord. So I just, I just thank you so much for being here, for agreeing yeah, to do this.
1: No problem. And honestly, your story of friendship was so beautiful. It was such a beautiful way to oh, start this podcast.
0: I'll tell the others that you said that. They'll love that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was great to meet you, Julie. Thanks. Bye.
0: I say this a lot after interviews, and I always mean it, but this time I really, really mean it. We covered a ton in that interview, and I'm still reeling from the statistic that the average person hasn't made a new friend in more than five years. I think back to all the new people I have met in the past five years, and even this year during the pandemic, and how rich my life is because they are in it, and it makes me sad, think that there are people who year after year are not adding new friends to their lives. And because of this research that Dr. Franco is doing, we know that most adults want to make friends, they just aren't sure how to do it at this stage of their lives. The secret to making friends as an adult is that you have to try. You have to put yourself out there. You have to ask people to spend time with you and do things with you. It begins with small acts like the simple act of saying hello to someone, and it builds from there. Small acts can and will open the doors to a closer friendship that is built over time. But you have to do the work. You have to have continuous interactions with someone for the friendship to begin to take hold and grow. Putting yourself out there and asking someone if they want to spend time with you can be scary, because we are all so afraid of rejection. We need to suspend the disbelief we have in ourselves. We need to stop worrying why someone would want to be our friend. The studies show that we are more likable than we give ourselves credit for, and we have lots of things that we can contribute to a friendship. But you have to take the initiative to start building these new relationships. As adults, these relationships will not happen spontaneously. As we start to emerge from this pandemic and begin to live more social lives, think about how you can get involved in things that you are interested in as a way to meet new people and build new friendships. I know my friends have helped me live a richer, happier, and more fulfilled life, and that's what I want for you too. Okay, so some of my girlfriends, when we get together, it's all about the gossip. It's all about spilling the tea. Don't judge me. I'm a good person, but I like me some gossip too. So today's drink of the week comes with a little history lesson. If you know anything about me, it's that I am a huge history buff. I like history almost as much as I like true crime. Almost. So the term spilling the tea as a way to describe gossip is used a lot in modern culture now, but most people don't know that it got its origin in black drag culture. One of the earliest print uses of the word tea then just used as the capital letter T, comes from the nonfiction bestseller Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. In it, the character, the Lady Chablis, a prominent drag performer in Savannah, is being interviewed about her dating life, and she notes that she avoids certain men because they are prone to violence when they, quote, find out her tea. Your tea, she is questioned. Yeah, my tea, she answers. My thing my business, what's going on in my life. The book gave the world a peek into the vocabulary of black drag culture. T here is short for truth, and her truth is that she's transgender. It appears that capital T, and also spelled T-E-A, had a double-edged meaning in black drag culture. It could refer to a hidden truth, as Chablis uses it, and it could also refer to someone else's hidden truth. That is when it's gossip. So, there you have it. That is how we all started referring to gossip as spilling the tea. So what does this have to do with the drink of the week? Well, the other day I was at Trader Joe's and they have a shelf of Lucy's. Cans and bottles that have been separated from their six pack or four pack and are being sold as a single item. I call them Lucy's. So I picked up a Lucy of something I had never tried before. Owls brew boozy and botanicals. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's hard tea. The one I picked up was English breakfast tea with lemon and lime. If you like tea and booze, you'll probably like this. They're made from all-natural ingredients and are vegan and all that jazz. So call up some friends, and even if you don't spill the tea, you can sip on it and enjoy it together. All right, fam, it's that time in the episode where I ask you to please review the podcast on iTunes. It really does make a huge difference in helping to grow this podcast. So pretty please take a moment to review and subscribe and share with your friends